In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember not the sins of my youth and my transgressions. Remember me according to your love and for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Yes, remember me, remember us according to your love. I was shocked. I was utterly stunned when I looked up the fact I'm about to tell you. Toy Story, the animated motion picture, and not Toy Stories 2 through 4, those don't count, but the original Toy Story, that Toy Story movie, is now over 28 years old. I could hardly believe it when I checked the release date on Wikipedia. For some reason, 1995 just doesn't seem all that long ago to me. But since we've now named that all of us have had nearly three decades to see the film, I'm going to confess to you that I no longer feel bad about what will happen next. That's right, I'm going to ruin the plot. Starting at the top in the opening scenes of the movie, we're greeted by a young Andy Davis, the six-year-old boy to whom all the toys belong. Delightfully lost in a wonderland of his own imagination, Andy is seen zooming around his room, playing with everything from a Mr. Potato Head to an RC car. But of course, from the beginning, it is clear that there is one toy at the center of it all, one toy that is Andy's favorite. A pull-string cowboy doll dressed in a yellow shirt, blue jeans, a red bandana, and a cow print vest named Woody. And naturally, he comes complete with a brown, a brown plastic cowboy hat, brown plastic boots, and a sheriff's badge pinned for all to see. Yet just as quickly as all the fun began, the play takes a pause. Abruptly, when the revelation dawns that Andy's birthday party has been moved up one week to that very day. Andy, his little sister, and his mom are moving to a new house soon, and so they need to celebrate his birthday early and ahead of the big move. Returned by Andy to the prized favorite toy spot on top of the young boy's bed, Woody and the other toys then become sentient, springing to life as soon as Andy leaves the room. But they are immediately caught up in a frenzy, a panic, when the recent news is allowed to sink in. Andy's birthday is today? Already? The toys all shout. How can this be? The issue at hand, of course, is not a new one. It's a problem that the toys grapple with on at least two occasions each year. Christmas and Andy's birthday. Two times when Andy is sure to receive additional toys, which might then lead to one of the older toys being replaced by something shiny and new. Now, together with being Andy's favorite, Woody also has the distinct honor of being the toy's de facto leader, 
which means he bears responsibility for quelling fears amongst the ranks as they anxiously await word on the content of Andy's presence. Hoping to find out sooner rather than later, Woody sends a battalion of green army men downstairs to spy on the party with a baby monitor. But their plan is foiled when Andy's mom springs a surprise final gift from the closet at the very last minute. A shock that catches everyone off guard, the toys included. You probably know this by now, but the final gift is none other than a Buzz Lightyear action figure. A character who bursts onto the scene believing he is an actual space ranger but somehow does not know that he is indeed a toy, just like all the others. Yet none of this Buzz's true identity stops him from impressing all the other toys with his high-tech features. He's got sounds and flashing lights, and because he believes he's an actual space ranger, Buzz also believes that he can fly. Woody, on the other hand, is beyond fed up at this point, and his jealousy of Buzz, no doubt stoked by the fear he's about to be replaced as Andy's favorite, leads to an early standoff between the two characters. These wings are plastic, Woody exclaims. You can't fly. Oh, yes, I can, Buzz responds. Can't. Can. Can't. Can. Can't. Can. This goes on for a bit, this argument between the two of them, until it finally comes time for Buzz to put his money where his mouth is. Jumping from a bedpost, he shouts, to infinity and beyond, before being gifted with a series of very fortunate events that do actually make it seem like Buzz can fly. We next see a display of Lucky, airplane-like acrobatics that eventually land the vindicated action figure back on Andy's bed. There he is greeted by a round of applause and shouts from all the other toys, but Woody is still not convinced. Unable to give it up, unable to let the moment pass, Woody, voiced by Tom Hanks, then delivers one of the best lines in the entire history of film. That wasn't flying, he says. That was falling with style. If the bulletins and other liturgical changes haven't given it away for you yet, today is the first Sunday in Lent. All signs that we are near the beginning of a 40-day journey, observed by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. It's a time of preparation as we draw close to Holy Week, days that demand great care and attention because they help us receive anew the glory of Easter, the glory of a world where death is defeated because God so loves us and bears that love through the hard wood of the cross. Or to put it another way, a shorter way, Lent is a journey that changes our thinking about what it means to fall. But how? How does it do that? Well, the scriptures appointed for today provide a pretty good place to start. 
Through our Old Testament reading from Genesis, we get to pause and reflect for a moment on a conversation God is having with Noah. But that conversation doesn't make any sense without the eight chapters that come before it. From the very first verses, the story of creation opens with a God set to confront chaos and disorder so that something may be brought out of nothing, so that beauty and wonder and order can be the foundation of all that is created. And from the beginning, humanity is given a special privilege. We are formed and made to participate in God's vision for the world and asked to trust the wisdom of the one who made everything that is. But from the outset, there is a pattern of behavior that keeps repeating across the first 11 chapters of Genesis and beyond them too. And that pattern is one of rebellion, of human rebellion. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the Tower of Babel, and yes, today's Old Testament passage that comes on the heels of the flood. All of these stories are about the same thing. They are about an innate human desire to buck God's vision for the world as it ought to be. By way of a series of choices that seek to define good and evil on humanity's terms, thereby reintroducing chaos and disorder where God only wanted good. These are the stakes for the journey we are on, the contrast of competing visions for this place we share together. Yet the reason we read Genesis 9, the reason we read Genesis 9, this conversation God is having with Noah, divine words spoken to him, but for all of us, the reason we read it is to be reminded that our rebellion, that our tendency to fall, is not the end of the story. Because God said to Noah, as for me, as for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, Yes, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. The amazing thing about this covenant is that it does not function. It doesn't have the character of a treaty or some other legal affair, chiefly because it is a word spoken, a promise made, where all of the obligations rest on one side. God's commitment to us, to the free gift of grace, puts all the heavy lifting on him and continues to do so no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we make a mistake or get it wrong. As I said before, Lent is a journey that changes our thinking about what it means to fall. But how? How does it do that? Well, in this story, it does that through a rainbow in the sky. It does that through a voice that promises that every time things fall apart, that God will be there to pick up the pieces because God will not abandon ever the good thing that God has made. 
Returning to Buzz and Woody, as it happens, part of the story in Toy Story is a journey that the two main characters embark upon pretty much right where we left off. And it's certainly not a fun journey. Well, not for them. It's pretty entertaining for us. But anyways, what I mean to say is that I don't think it would be a stretch to call this season that plays out over the next several scenes of the movie a wilderness time. Nearing closer and closer to the big move Andy's family is about to make, Andy's mom announces that instead of eating at home that night, they're going to go out for dinner instead. To Pizza Planet, Andy's favorite place. But because Woody is afraid that Andy is going to bring Buzz to dinner and not him, Woody devises a plot to ensure that doesn't happen. He attempts to knock Buzz behind the desk using the RC car, but further chaos ensues when he accidentally knocks him out of the window of the house instead. Yet despite Woody's efforts, both toys still end up in the car on the way to Pizza Planet. At least for a time, a short time, Buzz is furious with Woody, understandably, which leads to a fight that tumbles both toys out of the car and gets them stranded at a gas station. Though they eventually hitch a ride to the restaurant on a Pizza Planet delivery truck, it is there that they truly jump out of the frying pan and into the fire. On the verge of being reunited with Andy, so close to the outcome they both want, more mayhem ensues. Andy's sadistic next-door neighbor, Sid, a troubled boy who destroys toys for fun, happens to also be at Pizza Planet and picks up Buzz and Woody first. He then takes them home where they encounter Sid's mutant toys that he has brutally reconfigured and his not-so-friendly dog, Scud. And as if things couldn't get any worse, when they get to Sid's house, a shocking revelation comes to light that just about collapses Buzz's spirit. He sees a TV commercial, a Buzz Lightyear TV commercial, that reveals painfully that he is not actually a space ranger, that he is indeed just a toy. Yet even then, Buzz doesn't want to believe it, and so he attempts to fly, but falls, breaks his arm, and has a bit of a breakdown. Now, at this point, it would seem that Buzz and Woody have reached a place where they are almost certainly beyond hope. Both toys are in an active identity crisis, and both toys are stranded in the wilderness far from home, not to mention the fact that they still haven't reconciled. Except it is precisely at this point, this moment, where something beautiful breaks through. Woody reaches out to Buzz, empathetically, one hurt toy speaking to another, and says the very thing that they both need to hear. I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially says, Buzz, buddy. Don't you know this by now? Don't you know that it isn't the flashing lights or cool effects or whether or not you can fly that makes you special? No, what makes you special, what matters, is your connection to a child, to a someone who loves you fiercely and delights in you that makes you who you are. 
And it is then by way of this realization that Woody and Buzz find the resolve to free themselves from Sid's sinister plan for them. They employ the rocket, the firecracker that Sid was going to use to destroy Buzz to instead propel them both back to Andy in the nick of time. At just the right moment, Buzz opens his wings, breaking the tape that held the rocket to his back moments before it explodes. Hardly able to believe that they haven't both been blown to bits, Woody then says to Buzz, who's holding him, Buzz, you're flying. But this time it is Buzz who answers with the same iconic movie line that we heard at the beginning of the film. This isn't flying, he says. This is falling with style. In our gospel lesson from St. Mark, we get one more story about a journey through a wilderness. And as it turns out, it's the most important journey through a wilderness story we're going to hear today. In the other two years of the lectionary cycle, we get a rather lengthy treatment of Jesus's temptation in the wilderness by the devil. The story we always hear on the first Sunday in Lent. But for Mark, the evangelist known for his brevity, the journey he believes we need to hear about today is somewhat broader. In a rapid succession of just a few verses, the gospel writer quickly moves from Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan to his temptation in the wilderness and right on up to the start of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, all of which points to Calvary to the glory of a world where death is defeated because God so loves us and bears that love through the hard wood of the cross. Or to put it another way, a shorter way, and to repeat it one last time, the reason we read this story now, this most important journey through a wilderness story today, the first Sunday in Lent, is because we too are on a journey a journey that changes our thinking about what it means to fall. But the change doesn't happen as a consequence of anything we do or don't do in this season. It is not decided by how successful or good our Lenten pilgrimages are. No, because funny enough, what is true for Buzz and Woody in that movie is true for us too because it is not Buzz's false identity as a space ranger that ultimately defines what it means for him to fall or to fly. No, no, instead what matters, what really matters, is his connection to someone who loves him fiercely, to someone who delights in his true identity that defines who he is. And so in this season, the season of Lent, it is not our journey through the wilderness that changes our relationship to the fall, but God's. Yes, it is God's journey to the cross and the garden that means that every dead, awful, and fallen thing has already been defeated. That's the good news that's true every day on the Christian calendar. That's the hard work Christ has already done. Which means then, which means then that our vocation, our calling, our daily practice is just simply to realize that. That's the so what today and every day. To believe that we are connected to someone who loves us fiercely, 
because we are, and to live knowing that life always gets the last word, because it does. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.